Welcome to the Why in Psychiatry. Hi, this is Dr. Miles, CEO Fellow, where we delve into the intricate nuances of psychiatric topics. My name is Dr. Chandora, attending psychiatrist. I did my residency from University of Connecticut, and then I did my fellowship from Georgetown University in Consultation and Liaison. Each episode features interview-style discussions that explore the intersection of the mind, medicine, and the human experience. Together, we'll uncover the hidden why and the groundbreaking discovery shaping the psychiatric landscape. So grab a seat, a warm beverage, tune in, and let's embark on this journey to unlock the mysteries of the human psyche. Only on The Why in Psychiatry. Welcome to The Why in Psychiatry. Today, we'll be talking about why we get the side effects from SSRIs. And as usual, it's your host, Dr. Amayo, and I'm here with Dr. Handretter. Hello, guys. How are you guys doing? I found myself explaining to patients the side effects. And one of the big things that I tell them is they're going to have some GI symptoms, some nausea. And another thing I ask them, I tell them is the risk of switching to mania. So that's a big warning. And another big black box warning is the increase in suicidality. So, sir, I, I was wondering if we can start with why does SSRI increases your chance of mania? How does that work? How does antidepressants actually switch a person into manic episode? So whenever we prescribe antidepressants, we all always want to make sure or whenever we evaluate any psychiatric patient, we basically need to make sure that we rule out bipolar disorder. The way to rule out bipolar disorder is by using scales like mood disorder questionnaire or rapid mood screening, which will screen a patient. If they are positive, then that means that there's a high probability that the patient might have bipolar disorder. And you have to actually go for a detailed history taking. So you guys know exactly where I'm heading towards. So if a patient has bipolar disorder, then we stay away from conventional antidepressants because we know that they can switch a patient into mania. Eric, does SSRI cause someone to have manic episode or cause them to have bipolar? Or does it just increase that? So are they already like bipolar and SSRI just increases their chances of them switching? So SSRIs without a mood stabilizer in a patient as bipolar disorder increases the risk or switch into a manic or a hypomanic episode. And if the patient never has bipolar disorder or doesn't have a risk of bipolar disorder, would an SSRI increase that risk? I guess that was, that's my no, question. No, it will not. So it, if the baseline are not likely to have bipolar disorder, the SSRI would not? No. Okay. It will not increase if the patient doesn't have bipolar disorder at all and doesn't have any family history of bipolar disorder. Okay. Now, you have to be a little careful when you introduce an SSRI because patients can have side effects like increased agitation, irritability, and restlessness for the first one to two weeks. That is, especially because of serotonin hypersensitivity, it does not mean that the patient is switching. But I think the screening will be extremely helpful because if you look at the bipolar data, about 70% of the patients are actually not diagnosed when they come during the initial visit. 35% of the patients with bipolar will not be diagnosed for 10 years. And they would have gone through almost three and a half diagnosis or through four different physicians before they get diagnosed with bipolar. So you need to be careful. And in the primary care clinic, out of every five patients that they diagnose with the depression, there'll be one patient who will have bipolar disorder. So it's a good idea to screen a patient. Now, what are the risks? We see in our practice that a lot of providers will use conventional antidepressants with mood stabilizer. So, so what's the data available when you use a mood stabilizer and use SSRI with a mood stabilizer? The risk of switch is less than placebo. 
And this is for patients that already have confirmed bipolar disorder. Exactly. So and the, the, basically the reason when you use SSRI for a long period of time, it decreases the sensitivity of the beta-adrenergic receptors. So under stressful situation, when the norepinephrine level goes up, you do not have the beta-adrenergic receptors to attach to. So that is one of the theory behind why SSRIs is when used with mood stabilizer, risk of switching to mania is equivalent to placebo. That's the SSRIs. Yes. But it doesn't do that when it's given alone. So when it's given alone, you don't have a mood stabilizer on board. Don't have a mood stabilizer on board, then the re actually increases. But what I would advise with a mood stabilizer, try to use an FDA-recommended medication for bipolar depression rather than conventional antidepressant. Unless they're failure. Now, what's the data on mood stabilizers with bupropion? The data actually shows that when you use mood stabilizer with bupropion for bipolar depression, the risk of switch is less than placebo. One of the hypotheses is that bupropion is not a very potent norepinephrine and dopamine group take inhibitor. Plus, it does not act on the postsynaptic receptors like other antidepressants. So the risk actually with a mood stabilizer plus an SNRI like or with the TCA tricyclic antidepressant, the risk of switching is more than placebo. So that wise, don't even touch SNRI or TCA with a mood stabilizing bipolar. Is there, is there a reason? Do we have a mysterious why? So there are, again, everything is a hypothesis. We do not know for sure. There's a lot of research data floating around. But one of the most possible explanations is that when you use tricyclic, it is the anticholinergic H2 mania. That sure. ability to block the M2 and M4 muscarinic receptor, as well as an acetylcholine receptor that switches them into a manic episode. Uh, with an SNRI, when you use SNRI at a higher dose, they also increase the dopamine. Oh, for example, venlafaxine, when you use 225 and above, it actually will hit the dopamine. And with this venlafaxine, when you go actually close to 100 or more, it will increase the dopamine. So, sir, the, I guess the next question will be, so just without the mood stabilizer, why does antidepressants increase the risk of switching to mania? So, now we heard about like why we don't use conventional antidepressants with the mood stabilizers. So... The research data that you actually see says that when you use conventional antidepressant, there are different reasons why your patient switches into mania. One reason actually is that when you use antidepressant over a long period of time, it causes decreased sensitivity of the presynaptic dopamine D2 receptor. We know that presynaptic D2 receptors are autoreceptors. So when you decrease the sensitivity of the autoreceptor, you increase the release of dopamine from the presynaptic. The second is it also increases the sensitivity of the postsynaptic dopamine receptor, especially the D2 receptor. So it's acting in both. So it's first is increasing the D2 and second is making the postsynaptic receptor more sensitive to the D2, which increases your risk of a manic episode. The next series, as we talked about, the anticholinergic effects of tricyclic antidepressant. And so, sir, to... To summarize, so why there's an increased risk of switching dominion in just regular and normal everyday antidepressant is there's a reduced sensitivity in the autoreceptors, and that leads to an increase in dopamine from the presynaptic neuron. And there's double whammy with an increased sensitivity in the postsynaptic neuron to D2 receptors. And so that will increase our chances of, of switching to mania. And also, again, possibly the anticholinergic effect, which we see more with the TCAs and possibly paroxetin, which has an anticholinergic effect. So I guess next question is the suicidality. Why? And especially, again, it's been an increased risk in the younger population. So this is a good question, right? So we always deal with this. So in patients 24 years or less, there's a black box warning on the use of antidepressants. One of the hypotheses that people actually say is that, did we miss bipolar disorder? So the patient is too young to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder as, as a family has had like short episodes of depression. 
multiple episodes of depression before the age of 25. So all these are risk factors for bipolar, right? But a manic or hypomanic symptom. If you introduce an SSRI or an antidepressant, did you switch the patient into a mixed state? Because the risk of suicide is higher in patients with bipolar mixed state. Now, there is no solid data which shows that this is the reason why there's an increased risk of suicide. There's a different hypothesis. It's 2005, I think. So the FDA actually put the black box warning they updated in 2007 saying that depression itself can actually increase the risk of suicide. But I think like the good, the best practice is actually to educate the patient 24 years or younger about the risk of switching to mania. And also to educate the family members because when patients are manic, they have no insight. It's always a good idea to involve the family member, talk to them about the risk so that if the patient misses it, at least the family members can pick it up. That's a good point with it being that young of age, maybe there's more of a bipolar component to it. And that would make sense as to why it's specific for that age group that, that we see that risk as opposed to older. But then I wonder if, because women tend to develop manic disorder later in life or what I, their risk for suicidality is a little bit more extended than male. I don't know. We don't know that exactly yeah. because another hypothesis is that the patient who is depressed and is suicidal to begin with, and as the depression gets better, there are more energy actually now to actually complete this. So that's part for, but none of these hypotheses has been proven. And then lastly, why do nausea and vomiting? I think that's the most common side effect with our regular antidepressants. How about that? So why do we develop nausea? So the so there are different types of serotonin receptors. One group of serotonin receptor called 5-HT3 receptors, 5-HT3, which is basically an inotropic receptor. It's not a G-protein couple receptor. So these 5-HT3 receptors are located in your gut. It's present in the blood brain back. So when you stimulate them, it usually stimulates nausea, vomiting, and headaches. That's the same reason when you are actually using chemotherapeutic agent for cancer. What the chemotherapeutic agent does is that it usually stimulates the antichromaffin cells in the duodenum to produce a huge amount of serotonin, which will stimulate the 5-HT3 receptor causing nausea in patients receiving chemotherapy. And that's why you have 5-HT3 antagonists like condensatrons. So these are actually used for nausea because they block the 5-HT3 And because of their ionotropic, is that why they work so fast as opposed to the the typical two to three weeks before we see the desired effects we want from antidepressants? Exactly. Inotropic receptors are faster acting because they are ion control receptors rather than G protein, which basically uses a second messenger system. And then I always comfort my patients, telling them that, that the nausea and vomiting will get better after five to six days. So does this ionotropic 5-HT3 receptors get desensitized to it. So the theory behind actually, when you use antidepressant for a long period of time, they desensitize these 5-HT3 receptors. That's when nausea and vomiting disappear. After about a week or two weeks, actually, if it's really bad, I sometimes actually add a 5-H3 antagonist to the antidepressants so they can tolerate it better. And after two weeks, I slowly kick them off it. But make sure that when you're giving an antiemetic agent always makes sure to educate the patient about dystonia, especially of the jaw. Actually, patient can tell a dystonic reaction. So it's a good idea to actually... I, but they do develop tolerance to it. dystonia. I wasn't tracking that. Let's talk about it in the next episode. Okay. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Our tireless team is already hard at work cobbling together another potpourri of fascinating discussion for next week, so be sure to tune in. Visit our website and our podcast feed and let us know your thoughts on the episode. Subscribe so you don't miss our releases every Wednesday.
Until next time, keep smiling, keep shining, and stay curious.